Chapter 14 of Under Wellington's Command by G. Henty. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Charles Sapp. Under Wellington's Command by G. Henty. Chapter 14. Effecting a Diversion. At twelve o'clock the next day, Terence rode up to his regiment just as it had halted for two hours' rest. As soon as he was recognized, the men leapt to their feet, cheering vociferously, and gathered round him, while a minute or two later, Herrera, Ryan, and the two majors ran up to greet him. "'I'd have been expecting you for the last month,' Ryan exclaimed, "'though how you were to get through the French lines was more than I can imagine. Still, I made sure you would do it somehow.' "'You gave me credit for more sharpness than I possessed, Dick. I felt sure it could not be done.' and so I had to go right down to Cadiz, and back to Lisbon by ship. It was a very much easier affair than ours was, and I met with no adventures and no difficulties on the way. Well, Harara, I heard at headquarters that the regiment is going on well, and that they fought stoutly at Banos. Your loss was not heavy, I hope. We had fifty-three killed and a hundred more or less severely wounded. More than half of them have rejoined. The vacancies have been filled up, and the two battalions are both at their full strength. Two of the captains, Fernandez and Panza, were killed. I have appointed two of the sergeants temporarily, pending your confirmation on your return. It is well that it is no worse. They were both good men, and will be a loss to us. Whom have you appointed in their places? Gomez and Mendoza, the two sergeant majors. They are both men of good family, and thoroughly know their duty. Of course I filled their places for the time with two of the color sergeants. I suppose you are ridden from the headquarters, Terence, Ryan put in, and must be as hungry as a hunter. We were just going to sit down to a couple of chickens and a ham, so come along. While they were taking their meal, Terence gave them an account of the manner in which he had escaped from Salamanca. So you were in our old quarters, Terence? Well, you certainly have a marvelous knack at getting out of scrapes. When we saw your horse carrying you into the middle of the French cavalry, I thought for a moment that the Minho regiment had lost its colonel, but it was not for long, and soon I was sure that, somehow or other, you would give them the slip again. Of course, I have been thinking of you as a prisoner at Ciudad, and I was afraid they would keep a sharper watch over you there than they did at Bayonne. Still, I felt sure that you would manage it somehow, even without the help we had. What are your orders? I have none save that we are to march to Miranda, where we shall find a guerrilla force under Morass, and we are to operate with him, and do all we can to attract the attention of the French. That is all I know, for I have not had time to look at the written instructions I received from the adjutant general when I said goodbye to him last night. But I don't think that there is any precise orders. What were yours, Harara? They are that I was to consult with Morass to operate carefully and not be drawn into any combat with superior or nearly equal French forces, which I took to mean equal to the strength of the regiment, for the guerrillas are not to be depended upon to the smallest extent in anything like a pitched combat. There is no doubt about that, Terence agreed, for cutting off small parties, harassing convoys, or anything of that sort, they are excellent, but for downright hard fighting, the guerrillas are not worth their salt. The great advantage of them is that they render it necessary for the French to send very strong guards with their baggage and convoys, and occasionally, when they are particularly bold and numerous, to dispatch columns in pursuit of them, 
if it were not for these bands, they would be able to concentrate all their troops and would soon capture Andalusia and Valencia, and then turn their attention to other work. As it is, they have to keep the roads clear, to leave strong garrisons everywhere, and to keep a sufficient force in each province to make head against the guerrillas, for if they did not do so, all their friends would be speedily killed, and the peasantry be constantly incited to rise. Do you know anything of this morass? He is said to be a good leader, Herrera replied, and to have gathered under him a number of other bands. He has the reputation of being less savage and cruel than the greater part of these partisan leaders, and though no doubt he kills prisoners, for in that he could hardly restrain his men, he does not permit the barbarous cruelties that are a disgrace to the Spanish people. In fact, I believe his orders are that no prisoners are to be taken. I will look at my instructions, Terence said, drawing out the paper he had received the night before. Yes, he said when he had read them, my instructions are a good deal like yours, but they leave my hands somewhat more free. I am to consult with Morass, to operate with him when I think it advisable, and in all respects to act entirely upon my own judgment and discretion, the main object being to compel the French to detach as many men as possible from this neighborhood in order to oppose me and I am to take every advantage the nature of the country may afford to inflict heavy blows upon them. That is all right, Ryan said cheerfully. I had quite made up my mind that we should always be dependent upon Morass, and be kept inactive owing to his refusal to carry out anything Herrera might propose. But as you can act independently of him, we are sure to have plenty of fun. We will make it as hot for them as we can, Dick, and if we cannot do more— we can certainly oblige the French to keep something like a division idol to hold us in check. With the two battalions and Morass's irregulars, we ought to be able to harass them amazingly and to hold any of these mountain passes against a considerable force. After two hours' halt, the march was renewed, and two days later the regiment arrived at Miranda. The frontier ran close to this town, the Durrell separating the two countries. They learned that Morass, was lying four miles farther to the north and across the frontier line, doubtless preferring to remain in Spain in order to prevent a quarrel between his followers and the Portuguese. The next morning Terence, accompanied by Ryan and four mounted orderlies, rode into the glen where he and his followers were lying. They had erected a great number of small arbors of boughs and bushes, and, as Terence rode up to one of these, which was larger and better finished than the rest, Morass himself came to the entrance to meet them, he did not at all correspond with Terence's ideas of a guerrilla chief. He was a young man of three or four and twenty, a slim figure and with a handsome, thoughtful face. He had been a student of divinity at Salamanca, but had killed a French officer in a duel brought on by the insolence of the latter, and had been compelled to fly. A few men had gathered round him, and he had at once raised his standard as a guerrilla chief. At first his operations had been on a very small scale but the success that had attended these enterprises and the reports of his reckless bravery had speedily swelled the number of his followers, and although as a rule he kept only a hundred with him, he could at any time, by sending round a summons, collect five times that number in a few hours. When Terence introduced himself as the colonel of the two battalions that had arrived at Miranda to operate in conjunction with him, Moraz held out his hand frankly. "'I am very glad indeed to meet you, Colonel O'Connor,' he said. I received a dispatch four days ago from your general, saying that the Minhole regiment would shortly arrive at Miranda, to act in concert with me. I was glad indeed when I heard of this, 
but the name of the regiment is well known on this side of the frontier as well as on the other, having been engaged in many gallant actions, and your name is equally well known in connection with it. But I hardly expected to meet you, for the dispatch said the Minhole Regiment under Lieutenant Colonel Horada. Yes, I only rejoined it two days ago, having been taken prisoner at Fuentes de Orno, and having made my escape from Salamanca. Your aid will be invaluable, signor. My own men are brave enough, but they are irregulars in the full sense of the word. And he smiled. And although they can be relied upon for sudden attack, or for the defense of a pass, they could not stand against a French force a quarter of their strength in the plain. We want a backbone, and no better one could be found in your regiment. I am the more glad that you are in command, because, you know, unhappily, we and the Portuguese do not get on well together, and while my own men would hesitate to obey a Portuguese commander, and would have no confidence in him, they would gladly accept your leadership. I hope that there will be no difficulties on the ground of race, Terence said. We are fighting in a common cause against a common enemy, and dissensions between ourselves are as absurd as they are dangerous. Let me introduce Captain Ryan, adjutant of the regiment. Morass shook hands with Ryan, who had been looking on with some surprise at the colloquy between him and Terence. Morass then asked them into his arbor. I have little to offer you, he said with a smile, save black bread and wine. The latter, however, is good. I obtained a large supply of it from a convoy we captured a few days since. The wine was indeed excellent and accustomed as they were to the coarse bread of the country, Terence and Ryan were able to eat it with satisfaction. "'Now, Colonel,' Morass said, "'beyond the fact that we are to aid in concert, I know nothing of the plans. Please to remember that while it is said that we are to discuss our plans of operations together, I place myself unreservedly under your orders. Of irregular warfare I have learned something, but of military science and anything like extensive operations, I am as ignorant as a child.' while you have shown your capacity for command. I may be of advantage to you from my knowledge of the country, and indeed there is not a village track that some one or other of my followers is not well acquainted with. That, of course, will be a great advantage to us, Terence replied courteously, and I thank you much for what you have said. But I am sure, from what I have heard, you underrate your abilities. Beyond regimental drill, I knew very little of warfare until I, quite by accident, came to assume the command of my regiment, and it was only because I drilled and disciplined it thoroughly that I had the good fortune to attain some successes with it. Your acquaintance with the country will be fully a set-off to any superior knowledge that I may have of military matters, and I have no doubt that we shall get on well together. The instructions that I have received are to the effect that we are to make incursions and attack in various directions, concealing, as far as possible, our strength, and so to oblige the French to detach a considerable number of troops to hold us in check. This would relieve the pressure upon Lord Wellington's army, and would deter the enemy from making any offensive movement into Portugal, until our general has received the reinforcements expected shortly, and is in a position to take the offensive. It will be just the work to suit us, the guerrilla chief said, and as I have received a subsidy from your political agent at Lisbon a few days since, I am in a position to keep the whole force I have together, which is more than I could do generally, for even if successful in the attack on a convoy, the greater portion of the men scatter and return to their homes, and as long as their share of the booty lasts, they do not care to come out again. Terence now produced a map with which he had been supplied, and a considerable time was spent in obtaining full particulars of the country through which the troops might have to march, 
ascertaining the best spots for resistance when retreating or for attacking columns who might be dispatched in pursuit of them, and in discussing the manner and direction in which their operations would most alarm and annoy the enemy. It was finally agreed that Terence should break up his battalions into three parties. Two of these consisted each of half a battalion, five hundred strong, and would be under the command of Bull and McWitty. Each of them would be accompanied by three hundred guerrillas who would act as scouts, and in case opportunities should offer, join in any fighting that might take place. The other two half-battalions formed the third body under the command of Terence himself, and would, with the main force of the guerrillas, occupy the roads between Zamora, Salamanca, and Valladolid. In this way, the French would be harassed at several points, and would find it so difficult to obtain information as to the real strength of the foe that was threatening them, that they would be obliged to send up a considerable force to oppose them, and would hesitate to undertake any serious advantage into Portugal until the question was cleared up, and their lines of communication assured again. It was agreed in the first place that the forces should unite in the mountains west of Braganza, between the river Esla on the east and Terra on the north, affording a strong position from which, in case of any large force mustering against them, they could retire across the frontier into Portugal. Terence had been supplied with money and an authority to give orders on the paymaster's department for such purchases as were absolutely necessary. Morass was also well supplied, having not only the money that had been sent him, but the proceeds of a successful attack upon a convoy proceeding to Salamanca, in which he had captured a commissariat chest with a considerable sum of money, besides a large number of cattle and several wagon loads of flour. All these provisions with some that Terence had authority to draw from the stores at Miranda, were to be taken to the spot they had chosen as their headquarters in the hills. "'You beat me all together, Terence,' Ryan said after all these matters had been arranged. They rode out from the guerrillas' camp. "'It is only about three months since I saw you. Then you can only just get along in Spanish. Now you are chatting away in it as if you had never spoken anything else all your life.' "'Well, you see, Dick, I knew just enough.' when I was taken prisoner, to be able to, as you say, get along in it, and that made all the difference to me. If I had known nothing at all of it, I should not have been able to benefit with my trip with the mule tours in Spain. As it was, I was able to talk with them, and as we rode side by side all day, and sat together by a fire for hours, after we had halted when the day's journey was over, we did a tremendous lot of talking, and as you see, I came out, at the end of the month, able to get along really fluently. I no doubt make a good many mistakes, and mix a good many Portuguese words with my Spanish, but that does not matter in the least, so long as one is with friends, although it would matter a good deal if I were trying to pass as a Spaniard among people who might betray me if they found out that I was English. I see that you have improved in Portuguese almost as much as I have in Spanish. It is really only the first drudgery that is difficult in learning the language. When one once makes a start, one gets on very fast, especially if one is not afraid of making mistakes. I never care a rat whether I make blunders or not, so that I can make myself understood. Three days later, the two bodies were assembled in a valley, about equally distant from Miranda and Braganza. It had the advantage of being entered from the east only through a narrow gorge, which could be defended against a very superior force, while there were two mountain tracks leading from it, by which the force there could be withdrawn, should the entrance be forced. A day was spent by the leaders in making their final arrangements, while the men worked at the erection of a great wall of rocks, 
twelve feet high and as many thick across the mouth of the gorge collecting quantities of stones and rocks on the heights on either side to roll down upon any enemy who might endeavor to scale them while another very strong party built a wall six feet high in a great semicircle round the upper mouth of the gorge so that a column forcing its way through thus far would be met by so heavy a fire that they could only debouch into the valley with immense loss two hundred men of the minho regiment drawn from terence's party were to occupy the valley with three hundred of the guerrillas who would be able to do good service by occupying the heights while the regular infantry held the newly erected walls one of morass's most trusted lieutenants was to command them while after some discussion it was arranged that harara should be in general command of the garrison the brave fellow was reluctant to remain inactive but he had been for some time seriously unwell having been laid up for a time with a severe attack of dysentery and was really unfit for any continued exertion although he had made light of his illness and refused to go on the sick list terence pointed out to him that the command was a very important one here all the plunder that they might attain from the enemy would be carried and if by means of spies or traitors the french obtained news of the situation of the post he might be attacked in great force before the other detachments could arrive to his assistance as there were four thousand french troops at zamora it was agreed that no direct attack could be made upon the town bull with his force was to watch the garrison attack any detachments that might be sent out leaving them severely alone when they sallied out in force and to content himself with outmarching their infantry and beating off any cavalry attacks he was if necessary to retreat in the direction of their stronghold mcwitty was to occupy the road between zamora and valladolid while the main body held the roads between both the latter town and zamora to salamanca frequent communication was to be kept up between them so that either column might speedily be reinforced if necessary in the course of a week the whole country was in a state of alarm bridges were broken down roads blocked by deep cuttings across them convoys attacked small french posts at tortillas fuente Lapina, and valparicio captured the french soldiers being disarmed and then taken under an escort to within ten miles of salamanca toro was entered suddenly and a garrison of three hundred men taken by surprise and forced to lay down their arms the powder bullocks and wagons with their stores were sent by circuitous routes to the bridge across the duro at miranda and then up to their stronghold so vigilant a watch was kept on the roads that no single courier was able to make his way from valladolid to salamanca or zamora and beyond the fact that the whole country seemed swarming with enemies the french commanders were in absolute ignorance of the strength of the force that had so suddenly invaded lyon one day a messenger rode in from mcwitty to fuente lapina where terence had his headquarters saying that a body of four thousand french infantry with one thousand cavalry were on the march from Valladolid to Zamora. Strong positions had already been selected for the defense, and a bridge broken down at a point where the road crossed a tributary of the Douro. Terence at once sent Ryan with two hundred men to reinforce McWitty, and dispatched several mounted messengers to find Bull and to tell him to join him on the road, four miles to the east of the point where McWitty was defending the passage of the river. He himself marched directly on that point, crossing the river at Totoselis. He arrived there early in the morning and found that the french column had passed late the evening before at this point the road ran between two hills several times crossing the stream that wound along the valley a large number of men were at once set to work breaking down the bridges and throwing up a breastwork along the bank 
where the river made a sharp bend crossing the valley from the foot of the hills on one side to that of those of the other while this work was being done cannon shots were heard then a distant rattle of musketry terence knew by this time ryan would have joined mcwitty and morass at once started with his men and four hundred of the portuguese to threaten the french rear and make a dash upon their baggage terence's orders to the officers in command of these two companies were that they were to keep their men well together and to cover the retreat of the guerrillas from cavalry attacks the firing continued for the next hour and a half then it suddenly swelled in volume and amid the rattle could be heard the sound of heavy volleys of musketry terence had half an hour before ridden forward at full speed with four mounted orderlies when he arrived at a spot where he could survey the scene of combat he saw that it was more serious than he had anticipated the guerrillas were falling back rapidly but as soon as they gained the high ground they halted and opened fire upon the cavalry who scattered over the plain were pursuing them his own men were retreating steadily and in good order facing round and pouring heavy volleys into the french cavalry as they charged them the french attack on mcwitty had ceased and terence saw bodies of infantry moving towards the right where on rising ground a body of troops about a thousand strong were showing themselves menacingly he had no doubt for a moment that this was bull's command who hearing the firing and supposing that terence was engaged there had led his command straight to the scene of action he at once sent an orderly back at full gallop to order the men in the valley to come on at the top of their speed and then rode along the hillside and joined bull who was closely engaged with the advancing columns of french so hot was a fire from bull's own men and the guerrillas that the two french battalions wavered and came to a halt and then breaking into skirmishing order advanced up the hill don't wait too long bull terence said there is a steeper slope behind you however i don't think they will come up very far not at least until they are reinforced there is another body just starting and i think we can hold on here until they join the skirmishing line as soon as they do so sound the order for the men to fall back where are your men sir they are four miles away at the spot where i told you to join me however the mistake is of no importance i have sent off for them and as soon as they arrive and show themselves i fancy the french will retreat he tore out a leaf from his pocket-book and wrote out an order to mcwitty leave captain ryan with his command to hold the river and march at once with the rest of your men to the ford which we heard of a mile down the river cross there and ascend the hills on the french right scattering your men so as to make as much show as possible and menacing the french with attack tell captain ryan to redouble his fire so as to prevent the french noticing the withdrawal of your force this he gave to one of his orderlies and told him to swim the river and deliver it to major mcwitty when terence had done this he was able to give his attention to what was passing across the valley his men had now ascended the hill and joined the guerrillas the french cavalry unable to charge up the heights had fallen back a column of french some fifteen hundred strong were marching in that direction as he had expected the skirmishers in front of him were making but little way evidently halting for the arrival of the reinforcement which was still more than half a mile distant the french gunners had been withdrawn from the bank of the river and were taking up positions to cover the advance of their infantry and their shot presently came singing overhead doing no harm however to the portuguese who were lying down on the crest of the swell and keeping up a steady fire on the french skirmishers ten minutes later the column was within a short distance of the line of defenders terence gave the word and his men retired up another and steeper slope behind 
while the guerrillas were ordered to remain to keep up a brisk fire until the french were within thirty yards of the crest and were then to run back at full speed and join them above the portuguese had scarcely taken out their position when a tremendous fire broke out below a minute later the guerrillas were seen rushing up the hill and close behind them came the french line cheering loudly as they approached the portuguese opened fire and with such steadiness and precision that the leading files of the french were almost annihilated but the waves swept upwards and encouraged by the shouts of their officers they advanced against the second position for half an hour an obstinate fight was maintained the strength of the position neutralizing the effect of the superior numbers of the french the spaniards fought well imitating the steadiness of the portuguese and being for the most part good marksmen their fire was very deadly and several determined attacks of the french were beaten off with heavy loss then from the valley below was heard the sound of a bugle the call was repeated by the bugles of the assailants and slowly and reluctantly the french began to fall back terence looked round he had from time to time glanced across the hills opposite and had seen his men there retiring steadily and in good order before the assault of the french and now he saw that his force from the valley was marching rapidly along the hilltop to their assistance while away on the french right mcwitty's command spread out to appear of much greater strength than it really possessed was moving down the slope as if to the assault below in the valley a battalion of french infantry with their cavalry and artillery were drawn up and were evidently only waiting for the return of the two assaulting columns to join in their retreat the french commander doubtless supposed that he was caught in a trap unable to effect the passage of the river and seeing the stubborn resistance his troops were meeting with on the hills the arrival of two fresh bodies of the enemy on the scene induced him to believe that the foe were in great force and that ere long he might be completely surrounded he moved forward slowly by the road he had come and was presently joined by the two detached parties as soon as they moved on terence sent an orderly at a gallop across the valley to order mcwitty and morass to follow the french along the hills on their side of the valley and to harass them as much as possible while he with bull's command kept parallel with them on his side the french cavalry kept ahead of their column the leading battalion was thrown out as skirmishers on the lower slopes of the hills while the artillery in the rear kept up a heavy fire upon the portuguese and spanish as soon as they were made out on the hills above them terence kept his men on the crest and signalled to mcwitty to do the same but the guerrillas swarmed down the hillside and maintained a galling fire on the french column terence took his men along at the double and heading the column descended into the valley at the point they had fortified here there was a sharp fight the french cavalry fell back after suffering heavily their infantry advanced gallantly and after a fierce fight drove the portuguese from their wall and up the hillside here they maintained a heavy fire until the column opened out and the french artillery came to the front when terence at once ordered the men to scatter and climb the hill at full speed without attempting to repair the broken bridges the french infantry crossed the stream breast high and the cavalry and artillery followed and terence seeing that the retreat could not be seriously molested and that if he attempted to do so he should suffer very heavily from their artillery sounded a halt and the french continued their retreat to valladolid leaving behind them all their baggage which they had been unable to get across the stream terence's force came down from the hills and assembled in the valley congratulations were exchanged on the success that had attended their efforts then the roll was at once called 
and it was found that a hundred and three men of the Minho Regiment were missing. There was no roll among the guerrillas, but Morass's estimate, after counting the number assembled, was that upwards two hundred were absent from the ranks, fully half of these having been overtaken and killed by the French cavalry. Terence at once set off two parties of his own men to the points where the fight had been fiercest. They were to collect the wounded, including those of the French, and to carry them down into the valley, while parties of guerrillas searched the hillsides down to the scene of action for their comrades who had fallen from the fire of the French artillery and musketry. When the wounded were collected, it was found that there was upwards of 200 French infantry, 59 guerrillas, and 24 Portuguese. The smaller proportion of wounded of the latter being accounted for by the fact that so many had been shot through the head while lying down to fire at the French as they climbed the hill. 230 French soldiers had been killed. Terence at once sent his men to dig wide trenches in which the soldiers of the three nationalities were laid side by side. A considerable amount of reserve ammunition being captured in the wagons, the men's cartridge boxes were filled up again and the rest was packed in a wagon. Some of the drivers had cut their traces, but others had neglected to do this, and there were sufficient wagons to carry all the wounded, both friends and enemies together, with a considerable amount of flour. The French wounded were taken to the ford by which McWitty had crossed, and then some of them who had been wounded in the leg, and although unable to walk, were fit to drive, were given the reins and told to take the wagons to Zamora, a distance of twelve miles. Fifty men were told off to march with them, until within sight of the town, as otherwise they would have assuredly been attacked, and the whole of the wounded massacred by the Spanish peasants. The force then broke up again, each column taking as much flour and meat as the men could carry. The remaining wagons and stores were heaped together and set on fire. Long before this was done, they had been rejoined by Ryan and his command. He had remained guarding the river until the French had disappeared up the valley, and had then crossed at the ford, but though using all haste, he did not rejoin the force until the whole of the fighting was over. This has been a good day's work, Terence, he said when that evening the force had entered Tordesalis and quartered themselves there for the night. You may be sure that the general of Valladolid will send messengers to Salamanca, giving a greatly exaggerated account of our force, and begging them to send down to Marmont at once for a large reinforcement. If the couriers make a detour in the first place, we shall not be able to cut them off. No, Dick, and we wouldn't if we could. I have no doubt that he will report the force with which his column was engaged as being nearly double what it really is. Besides, sharp as we have been, I expect some messengers will by this time have got through from Zamora. The commandant there will report that a large force is in the neighborhood of that town, and that without leaving the place entirely defended, he has not strength enough to sally out against them. They cannot know that this force and ours have joined hands in the attack on the Valladolid column, nor that this represented anything like the whole of the force that had been harrying the country and cutting off detached posts. The fact, too, that this gathering was not a mere collection of guerrillas or of the revolted peasantry, but that there were regular troops among them in considerable numbers will have a great effect, and Ramont will feel himself obliged, when he gets the news, to send some fifteen or twenty thousand troops up here to clear the country. Now the first thing to do is to draw up a report of the engagement and send it off to Wellington. I think that it will be a good thing, Dick, for you to carry it out yourself. I don't think that there is any fear of your being interrupted on your way to Miranda, and as an officer you will be able to get fresh horses and to take the news quicker than an orderly could do, 
and it is of great importance that the chief should know, as soon as possible, what has taken place here. I shall speak very strongly of your services during the past week, and it is always a good thing for an officer selected to carry the news of a success, and lastly, you can give a much better account of our operations, since we crossed the frontier, than an orderly could do, and Wellington may want to send orderlies back for our future work. I am game, Ryan said, and thank you for your offer. How long will you be? Well, it is eight o'clock now, and if you start at midnight, it will be soon enough. So if you have finished your supper, you had better lie down on that bed in the next room and get asleep, for you were marching all last night and will want some rest before starting on such a journey. End of chapter 14. Recording by Charles Sapp.